1 Corinthians 13. Our theme in 1 Peter this morning was the command to love. And so tonight we are looking at the question from the Word of God of what is love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 beginning in verse 4. Hear now the Word of the living God. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is the word of the living God, and we say, thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray together. Living God, we pray now that you would encourage our hearts and minds and souls by the truth of your word. Help us to consider what you have before us this evening for This, our food of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. A question for us to dwell upon this evening briefly is the question, what is love? Again, as mentioned a moment ago, we looked at the fact that the scripture calls us, commands us to love. So tonight, we're going to answer the question, hopefully, through God's Word of what is love. I want us to see together three things tonight, and I'll tell you up front what those things are. Firstly, we're going to look at what love acts like. What does love act like? Secondly, we'll consider what love affirms. And thirdly, what love goes through. What love acts like, what love affirms, and what love goes through. Oftentimes, this passage before us this evening is read at weddings. And of course, in earthly events, weddings are one of those events where we consider what love is. At least we ought to consider what it is, for husbands are called to love their wives. As Christ loved the church. And we consider perhaps the love of sweet romance and God bringing two people together. So it's not wrong for us to consider that husbands and wives ought to, quote, suffer long and be kind and not envy and not parade themselves. But really, this passage is a passage that predominantly in context has to do with what people in the church do for other people in the church. This is a passage about Christ's people understanding what they are called to be like in Christ. So let's look then at the question, what is love? Firstly, let's consider what love acts like. In verse 4, we see these words, love suffers long and is kind. Some of your translations may read the word love is patient, and that's a good translation. Keep using that translation, certainly. But I I like the poetic language of this translation. Love suffers long. That's what patience is, isn't it? Love suffers long and is kind. 
Love is patient. It is long-suffering. And it is kind. But notice the next phrase. Love does not envy. Now this passage of scriptures we'll see in various ways defining love comes to us in a letter that Paul wrote the church at Corinth. First Corinthians. And there you will see that many of the themes that he gives us in this passage that defines love find expression elsewhere. And in many cases, it's the opposite of what the church at Corinth is doing. That phrase there, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Have we seen envying in the book of First Corinthians to this point? Well, if you remember, we have. Turn over a few chapters to First Corinthians chapter 3. There, Paul corrects the Corinthians because he says this. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. Now, why, Paul, are you calling them carnal? For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am a Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Notice what word is there. I'm feeding you with milk and not meat. You're still babies in the Lord. Why is it? Because you're envying one another. So it shouldn't surprise us when ten chapters later, part of the definition of love is that love does not envy. But in keeping with that phrase, the next phrase that that teaches us what love acts like is this phrase. Love does not parade itself. Boys and girls, what's a parade? Well, in our day, a parade is where, hopefully in good weather and not in bad weather, you're standing on the side of the road watching all kinds of people and cars and fire trucks and ambulances and police officers and military individuals. They're all walking by and there's usually a celebration. And many times there's even a competition. Some parades involve uh, a competition. Who can decorate their car the best? Who can throw out the most candy? What store or what politician is the one that gives the best kind of lollipops? This is a parade, we often think. And it's related to this. Parading oneself is when you exist as if you want other people to see you. You want other people to recognize you. You want other people to favor you. So the opposite is not parading yourself. Love does not do that. It doesn't seek to be noticed. It doesn't seek to be recognized. Love is patient or suffering long. It's kind. It does not envy or want what others have does not parade itself. Chapter 13, verse 5, continues with giving us a description of what love acts like. Look at verse 5. Does not behave rudely, is not puffed up. Now, as we saw with the word envy, puffed up appears in multiple places. In fact, let me give you a long list and then let us go to one or two. In Paul's letter to the Corinthian believers, being puffed up is dealt with 
nearly ten times at least. 1 Corinthians 1, 12, chapter 4, verse 18, chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, chapter 11, verses 17 and following, chapter 12, verse 21. But let's look at just one or two examples. 1 Corinthians 1, 12, there Paul writes these words. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. This is what I am. This is who I follow. Or chapter 4, verse 18. Now some of you are puffed up as though I were not coming to you. Over and over and over. That phrase continues. The next verse, 1 Corinthians 4.19, But I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills, and I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. Again, Corinthians, you need to be instructed on what love is because you are acting in unloving ways. You're not suffering long. You're not kind. You're envying You're parading yourself. You're puffed up or you're prideful. That phrase there, boys and girls, puffed up, could be an expression for you're prideful toward one another. Part of the issue of being puffed up is the issue of knowledge. Knowledge puffing up. 1 Corinthians 4, 6. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sake, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. Or 1 Corinthians 8, 1. Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up. But love edifies. You see, the Corinthian church was a church that had a lot going for it. But they were not currently existing in a state of love with one another and for one another. So how does love act? What does love act like? Well, it suffers long. It's kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't parade itself. It's not puffed up. It's not rude. There are general understandings in every culture as to what rudeness is. Some things in one culture may not be as rude in another culture. But generally speaking, you don't really have to convince most people in any given culture what is rude. To love a brother or sister in Christ means that you are not existing in a rude way towards that brother or that sister. But notice the next phrase in verse five. Love, quote, does not seek its own. Some translations render it this way. It does not insist on its own way. That's so hard for us sometimes, isn't it? It's hard for us to love in a way where we don't seek our own. We don't insist on our own way. Love does not seek its own. It's not provoked. 
Have you ever considered that sometimes in the Christian life, when you are easily provoked by another brother or sister, by a spouse, the issue is not them, but that you are unloving in the extent that you are easily provoked? Which is a challenge for us, particularly in a day where we're taught that love is really all about feelings. If you love someone, you make them feel. And so when I don't feel and you fill in the blank, they must not be loving me. But when we have love for other people, we're not as easily provoked. Look at the next phrase, thinks no evil. What might this mean? The Puritan Matthew Poole in his commentary says this. Quote, that it uh, that is no mischief, nothing that may be hurtful or prejudicial to his neighbor or else he doth not rashly suspect his neighbor for doing evil, which possibly may be the better interpretation. And so it teaches us that lightly to take up evil reports of our neighbors is a violation of charity for the man that hath a true love to his brother, though he may believe evil of his brother and charge him with evil when it evidently appears to him that he is guilty. Yet before that be evident to him, he will not suspect nor think any such things of him. If you find yourself regularly in a position of assuming the worst of a brother or sister and of assuming a motive of a brother or sister. And I don't mean one who has unrepentantly sinned against you. I don't mean individuals that have abused you or harmed you. I just mean if there are certain interactions you have with a brother or sister in Christ, whoever he or she may be, and you are quick to assume evil on their part, you're lacking in love. You're lacking in love. So this is a long list of what love acts like. What does it act like? But secondly, notice that the scripture teaches us what love affirms. Look at verse six. Love does not rejoice in iniquity. Boys and girls, that word iniquity could be translated sin, wrongdoing, unrighteousness. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Now, of course, I'm assuming we all know this, but in our day and in our time, this bears repeating. The world likes to define love for us. The the, the world loves to declare to the church of Jesus Christ how it is not being loving. And the chief way in our day that the world says that we are not being loving is that we refuse to rejoice in iniquity. Love affirms. We don't need to be afraid of the word affirm. Love affirms the truth, not what is false. We rejoice in the truth. So, yes, we act in the following ways. We're patient and we're kind, even with those who don't deserve it. We do not envy. By God's grace, we seek to not parade ourselves or be puffed up or act rudely or seek our own way all the time. We seek to not be quick to think evil. But in doing all of these things, love, which the Spirit of God has kindled in us, aright, rejoices in the truth. And notice the way that the Holy Spirit has given us His Word. It's not just 
we accept truth. We don't like falsehood. Notice the way that the text is written. We don't rejoice in iniquity, but what do we rejoice in? Truth. It's not just that we accept it and we like truth. We want it. We rejoice in truth. Now the context seems to indicate truth in general here, not just the gospel. Although we ought to see that as true and to rejoice in that. The context would give us to believe that this is any truth of God's word. In fact, even truths that that may not necessarily directly come from the word of God. What is true? What is right? Love is not defined as going along with someone so as to let them feel supported. But as rejoicing in truth uprightness and holiness versus sin. This is worth our lingering upon for just one moment. Let me say that one more time. When we read that love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth, that means that love is not defined as going along with someone just so they feel supported. But rejoicing Calling them to, walking with them in, hoping that they see what is true and right and holy. Now, we can do that without what? Impatience. Without rudeness. We can do that without parading ourselves and being puffed up. There are many brothers and sisters out there in the world who get the truth about a particular sin right, but the way that they talk about it makes them sound like they're parading themselves. That they're puffed up. But even though we want to guard against parading ourselves and being puffed up, the Scripture nowhere calls us to say, well, this brother or sister, he or she has sensitive feelings, so we won't go along with what's true here. You see, we often take verse 6 of 1 Corinthians 13 as the heavy stuff. We're not going to affirm the world's view of marriage or of abortion of immorality, and that's included. But sometimes, if we're not careful, we don't realize that we're not really loving our brothers and sisters well if, by our words or what we don't say, we're just kind of letting them go along. Love is defined as rejoicing in the truth. In 2023, in the church in the West, we do have many problems. By God's grace, he will lead us home even amidst them. But one potential problem is that we've taken this verse to mean only the big stuff. Brothers and sisters, there's a twofold way we ought to think about this. We ought to be regularly thinking and praying, Lord, help my mind to know and to act and to be in what is true and right. But also, Lord, help me not to regularly exist in such a way that nobody can tell me the truth. That nobody can share something with me for fear that I will push them away or be rude or not hear it. You see, sometimes the way that love acts 
is a helpful reminder in this issue of what love affirms. If we insist on our own way, if we are puffed up, it may be harder for people to rejoice in what is true with us. It is true that what you just told me in love, in kindness, and in long-suffering is right. I was wrong. You were right. And I've seen that, and it's good for both of us, and we can rejoice in that. We're rejoicing together in the truth. We're not envying. There's no parade here. You don't get to parade yourself for being right, and I have to not parade myself for being wrong. We're rejoicing in what is true here. See, we don't love well when we don't celebrate truth with one another for fear of simply hurting feelings. Now, by all means, there's enough here that says if we're like a bull in the china shop with other people's feelings, if I could say it in colloquial terms, that ain't love either. But, but... Love does affirm what is true. And this is going to be increasingly harder for us, isn't it? Teenagers, young adults, this is going to be harder for you than perhaps the generation before you. Because increasingly the world is comfortable rejoicing in iniquity. Your unsaved family members, your supervisors at work, they are increasingly okay with not just kind of being a little bit wishy-washy on the truth, but rejoicing in iniquity. You are not loving them if you rejoice with them in iniquity. Now, there is great help to be found in the book of Proverbs with this. Some of us major on the truth, don't we? I'm going to get 1 Corinthians 13, 6 down every time. Everybody's going to know what I think is true all the time. I'm not really going to suffer long. I'm not even going to think about how to say the truth in kindness without parading myself. I'm just going to get the truth. Others of us have that suffering long. We suffer so long with someone that the truth never really comes out. It's a mixture, isn't it? It's suffering long with kindness, not parading ourselves, not being puffed up, not being rude. But it's also rejoicing in truth. And that balance requires a wisdom, a spirit wrought wisdom. And so meditating on the book of Proverbs is great help for us here. You ever notice when you read the book of Proverbs, sometimes one verse apart, it'll say do this sometimes. And then the next verse will say do this. And it seems like the opposite. Well, which is it? The book of Proverbs was written not as a rule for every situation, but principles of wisdom. Sometimes you will have to answer a fool according to his or her folly. Sometimes you shouldn't answer a fool according to his or her folly. Lord, make us wise in the balance of both not being rude and knowing when to speak. And to rejoice in what is true. So we've seen what love acts like and what love affirms. Let's look thirdly and finally at what love goes through. Look at verse 7. Love bears all things, 
believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now, is is Paul just saying the same thing four different times? Or are these slightly different? What does it mean to bear all things and believe all things and hope all things and endure all things? Well, let's quickly look at these phrases. Bearing all things has to do with patiently enduring things like troubles or annoyances. Now, to be clear, sometimes people annoy us because we're easily annoyed. (laughs) I mean, we have to regularly be asking ourselves this. Just in, in truth before the Lord, am I a person that's easily annoyed? Because if I am, that may mean that I need to stop assuming everyone is annoying me. (laughs) Everyone's not annoying me. I'm easily annoyed. But bearing all things means that we patiently endure troubles, personality differences. Yes, sometimes things that rub us the wrong way. The Greek word here relates to offering support. I'm bearing all things. This is not... I'm willing to be wronged in every way all of the time without ever saying anything, without standing up for myself, without rejoicing in truth. Because we're told that love rejoices in truth. But it bears all things, meaning that it patiently endures. And there will be times where one has to speak up for oneself. But love patiently endures. Secondly, love goes through believing all things. I take this to mean, beloved, that love is not cynical. It's not suspicious. But in wisdom, it trusts. I say in wisdom because doesn't Jesus tell us that we need to be Wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Yes, there are times where we need to understand, particularly in certain roles in which we may be. A role like parenting. A role like a leader in a church. Other responsibilities where we have to be wise and we have to say, I'm struggling here with this one because I'm not, I'm not sure that everything is okay with, with what this person is saying or how they're acting. But in general, love is marked not only by patient endurance or bearing all things, but believing all things. If you walk around as cynical and suspicious of every brother and sister in Christ, you're not loving them. How does that differ, though, from the third phrase, hopes all things? Well, it's a very similar phrase. In general, it means having a general outlook on someone. Do you hope all things for the brother or the sister sitting next to you? Do you have a general outlook that is positive towards your brothers and sisters? Or would a better translation be for you, Your approach to loving them is despairing all things. 
You see, love goes through difficulties. Spirit-wrought love forged in us increasingly causes us to patiently endure, to not always be cynical and suspicious, and to have a generally good outlook on the other. That last phrase there, endures all things, how is that different? Well, the underlying word from the original language is actually a military term pointing to attack. And it distinguishes this word distinguishes this phrase from the beginning of the verse bearing all things here. What it is enduring is sufferings and persecutions bearing all things and involves patiently enduring supporting and troubles and difficulties and annoyances, but enduring all things has more of the connotation of sufferings and even persecutions. Love endures all things. Love suffers. Love endures even in the midst of persecution, which would be a timely word for those that would be persecuted. Aren't we regularly encouraged to those of us that have read Christian biographies and autobiographies of those who've suffered? Those who have endured persecutions for the sake of Christ. And one of the things that perhaps you, like me, have been so encouraged by is the clear demonstration of love in the face of persecution. In fact, there even seems to be a love for the persecutors. Of course, it's a love for their soul. It's a love that the truth that I'm rejoicing in would be the truth that they come to rejoice in. Love endures all things. So Paul gives us, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, a picture of love. And, and this picture is a picture that needed to be put together in this way because this was not the way that Corinth was as a church. But he gives us the picture of what love acts like what love affirms, and what love goes through. Of course, it would be Paul writing to the church at Corinth in both first and second letter where he would remind them of the gospel. Just two chapters later, Paul would say, here's the gospel. It always bears pointing out that when he says this is the gospel, it's what Christ has done, not what they did. The gospel is not their response to the gospel. The gospel is the gospel. What Christ has done. This is the gospel. That Christ died for sins. That he was raised. That there were witnesses. That this was done according to the scripture. This is the gospel. That man and woman are sinners and in need of a savior. And that Christ has been provided as that savior. Who in love. The quintessential example of love is the Savior suffering long for those that the Father had given him. Maybe you're here tonight and what you need is not a call to love brothers and sisters better, but to come into the family through the blood of the Lamb. Christ says any who come to him, meaning any who believe in him and trust him to save their souls from sin and death. 
he will not turn away. Now, it is in these letters of 1 and 2 Corinthians that Paul regularly and boldly preaches the gospel. But out of it, he corrects certain things. And one of the things that he corrects here in 1 Corinthians 13 is, Corinthians, I believe good things about you. It's one of my favorite things in the New Testament, is that 1 Corinthians is a letter written to people who really are messed up. They are just really messed up. Over, they don't have the Lord's Supper right. They don't have gifts right. They're envious. They're sectarianism. They're not loving. They're coming together and their worship is a mess. <laughs> and in the first few words, Paul says, you're saints. You're saints. There's hope there. Not just for Corinthians, but for us. But in this letter of correction... There is the loving reminder that love is what this passage describes. So may we perhaps in the days ahead take up a a section of scripture like 1 Corinthians 13 and say, am I acting in these ways? Suffering long? Am I kind? Maybe tonight it'd be helpful if you have a spouse. Am I kind to you? Am I kind to the kids? When you see me talking to people at church, generally speaking, flaws and all, am I kind or am I rude? Am I puffed up? Do I parade myself regularly? This may be a question for yourself or it may be a question for your spouse or a trusted brother or sister. Do I regularly look at my brothers and sisters at Grace Baptist Chapel and assume or think evil? Do I... Bear with troubles and annoyances. Am I marked by cynicism or hopeful believing with wisdom? When I find that I'm lacking, and we will find that we are lacking, until we reach heaven's shore, we're not perfect at Romans 13, 4 through 7. But when we find ourselves lacking... We remember the glorious words of the scriptures. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to cleanse us of our sins and unrighteousnesses. Brothers and sisters, our journey in love is not meant for us to take a passage like this and say one time only, how am I doing? But to say, Lord, make me more like this. Forge this within me by your spirit. Help me to long for these things. Help me to read this, not just as a list of things that I should do, but things that I actually long to see in the entire body. Help me, O Lord, by your grace, to be what I previously was not. 1 John 4, 9 and 10. We heard it as our benediction this morning. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the wrath bearing atonement, propitiation for sins. Then the next verse says, if we've been loved this way, we ought to love the brethren this way. May this be for the glory of Christ and his church. Let's pray. Almighty God, help your people. Help us, Lord, by your spirit. To grow in love, 
to see where we need the sandpaper of your word to wear away the areas that are rough in our love for others. Forge in us by your grace and your gentle mercies, Lord Christ, a desire. Grow us, we ask. We thank you for how often people say of us, visitors and guests, that they feel welcomed and loved here. We thank you. Lord, I thank you. I'm privileged to hear so often members say that they love the love of this church. But Lord, help us not to rest there. Press us in further, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.